Well, good morning, Radiant. It is so good to have you here in the house, have you online. You all look like you have bright eyes from an extra hour of sleep. Yeah? Uh, maybe not for all of you with children. Um, we are just uh, honored to have you here. And I noticed this morning, hey, uh, grateful for the boys' band uh, this morning. Did you see that? Worship team? I just noticed that earlier. It's like all guys this morning. Radiant boys on tour. Cool. <laughs> Praise the Lord, so grateful for them. In fact, uh, speaking of men, men, I just want to take a moment before we kind of dive into God's Word here and remind you and implore you to consider uh, here in 13 days from now, we're going to be having kind of a men's conference here at church uh, on Saturday, November 14th. It's just going to be from 9 a.m. to 12.15, and uh, we would love for you to be here for that. As you know, gathering together is kind of uh, not necessarily a thing we get to do as much uh, at this season. So when we have these times, I just really want to encourage you as much as possible, take advantage of this. Uh, Pastor Rob Willie uh, is a friend of mine from Davenport, Iowa. Uh, he's a senior pastor at Coromdeo Bible Church there. Actually, that church had a big influence on us in the very early days of getting started, and Rob had a big influence on me. Uh, he's the kind of guy I always want to be around. Uh, he was a, uh, a trader on the Chicago Board of Trade for 11 years before actually going into ministry, so he understands lay life uh, in his past career. And whenever I'm around him, I feel very small, and a big part of that is because he's like 6'6". Six, six. Uh, but he's a guy, guys, uh, you will want to be around. So if you'd go online, register for that, uh, do that as soon as possible, that'd be great. We'd love to fill the house for that. Well, we're in James chapter 5, so here in, in the room, here online, if you would open your Bibles to James chapter 5, and we're going to continue uh, what we began last week in the first, from the first six verses, and I kind of likened it to a neighborhood scene. In fact, you have my buddy here on the screen that I used last week and kind of communicating uh, what the first six verses were about. We're picking up from that verses 7 through 11 today, uh, but to set the, kind of set the groundwork for that, I likened it to a neighborhood scene. I liken those open verses to where here is kind of dad, James, if you will, in the text. He's stepping in, and it's so interesting. He's writing to Messianic Jews spread all, all around, scattered around, meeting in local churches, and, and he's talking to them. But then he has this paragraph here where he's actually talking to those, I'll call them those, those unredeemed rich neighborhood bullies, uh, those who are uh, bullying callously, uh, God's people around. And he has this conversation to them, and I think he's having this kind of conversation with them in order for his son, in order for his daughter, in order for his children who are being bullied by these unredeemed rich ones to hear what God has to say to them. And in overhearing that, it, it, you just as a child, as we kind of finish that, I think at the end of verse 6, it's kind of like he sends them away, and today he's going to have a conversation now with his child, with his children in this, and, and, and you walk away just hope-filled and soul-challenged. And just as I was thinking on that and sitting on that, it just that whole scene, that whole setting, the whole idea of it just so reminded me of a, a scene in Gladiator. Gladiator, God's movie for God's people. Um, there's a scene in it where Emperor Commodus comes down onto the, 
Colosseum floor. And uh, uh, Maximus, Meridius, Decimus has, uh, uh, I got that backwards, Maximus, Decimus, Meridius, my buddy. He uh, was supposed to lose a battle. In fact, he was set up to lose the battle. And yet he won. He was victorious in it. And so in this, it puts the emperor in a bad position. And so he comes down onto the Colosseum floor after the battle and he has this trash talk back with Maximus. And it's some serious trash, ugly trash talk. And then in it, Maximus says one sentence. He says, well, I think it's better that we see the scene, okay? So let's, let's watch the scene. You watch that and as he walks away, I'm telling you in the movie, you are hope filled and in it and yet you realize it's about to come to a culmination. It's a challenging scene there and you see the emperor, he's like, holy moly. He's like, and I'll say this, that's what James is saying. That's what James is saying in the first six verses. Listen, you think your time is now, but it's coming to an end. And friend, a follower in Christ, to be able to hear that, that our Father, that our God is going to bring all of this to resolution. We walk away from that scene as the, as the kind of the neighborhood bullies are sent off. We walk away from that filled with hope and challenge to our soul. I would call it the mic drop moment of James chapter 5, 1 through 6. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually read from verse 1 through 11. We're, in, we're kind of keying in on 7 through 11 today, but I think it's just good to hear again from last Sunday the text here. So you follow along as I read aloud chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And James says, Come now, you rich. Come now, you unredeemed rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Remember from last Sunday, that's perfect tense. It's already making reference. They already have corroded. They're already going out. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, those wages are crying out against you. Oh, and on top of that, the cries of the harvesters themselves have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I think it's right here, kind of in in the scene that I've said, where it's kind of like, then James uh, sends the bullies off. And and this is then the moment where the father kind of turns down, and James turns down and just has this conversation, eye level, with his son. In fact, let let me read it that way. Verse 7 through 11. As he now turns to his son, he turns to his daughter, he turns to his children. Hey, buddy. Hey, sweetheart, be patient, therefore. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. 
Hey, honey, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble with your brothers and sisters. Don't, don't do that. Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, um, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job. We've talked about that. And you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so, Lord, it's here in this kind of place where these wonderful words are given, kind of eye to eye, lovingly given, implored to us that we sit in here for the coming minutes together. Father, I pray as ones who uh, live in a very broken world, a neighborhood filled with broken people who are at times hounding us and harassing us, God, I, I just pray that you would give us wisdom and insight from yourself to know how to live in it. So here we are, God. Teach us. We want to hear from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If I were to summarize up verses 7 through 11 in three words, it would be this. Kids, live waiting. Kids, live waiting. I'm using the word wait and waiting today as the main word of our time. Even though the text has the word patience in it, also English Standard Version has the word wait, like the farmer but uh, the word patience is key, but I just want for you to know up front why I'm using the word waiting. Um, the word waiting is the activity of patience. The word waiting is the activity of patience. And, and, and straight up with you, we live in an activity world, not really a virtue world. But we live in an activity-oriented world, not a virtue-oriented world. And as sad as that is, that is just true, but let me kind of pull it together this way. Therefore, I want to talk because I think we best can connect with this. Waiting is the activity orientation of the virtue of patience. Okay? Waiting is patience lived out. So that's why I'm keying in on waiting because I think you and I today, and I'm including myself in this, I think we, we understand waiting better than we actually understand the word patience. I mean, think about it. If you have a, if you have a, a pet dog there with, I'm not calling us dogs, but you know what I'm talking about. If you have a pet dog there in that where it's kind of like the dog is there and you've got this uh, 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 food for him and you're teaching him to sit, to stay, and, and it's like, sit, 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 sit. And it's like, they're like drooling. <laughs> You know the picture. And you're like, no, 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 wait. Wait. You don't go, be patient. Like the dog doesn't understand that, but the dog totally understands wait. <laughs> so in this, notice this. Waiting includes waiting for something, and we're going to see that in the text here. So I'm keying in on waiting because it is the action of the virtue of patience here. Um, uh, also, uh, I'm keying in on the word waiting because there's a theme through Scripture that is the theme of waiting of God's people. In fact, I'm going to do something I usually don't do. I'm going to invest some minutes here, and I'm going to take us on a, a thread run 
through Scripture to see the term, to see the call for God's people to be awaiting people. There's a tendency for us to think of patience or to think of uh, the action of patience as waiting as that's something that I'm supposed to be here and there. Actually, it's supposed to be an, kind of a, an attribute of it. It's supposed to be something that we are in this. And I want to show that to you from Genesis to Revelation. So I actually have 25 passages here that I want to put on the table for us. And you just kind of sit back and you listen. They'll be on the screen here. And you just follow along and absorb this. Just listen to the story of the call for God's people to be awaiting people. And I'm going to begin in Genesis 49, 18, when Jacob says to his sons, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Psalm 25, verses 5 and 21. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, for I wait all the day long. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil actions. Wait. Psalm 38, 7, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Proverbs 20, 22, do not say, I will repay evil. Instead, wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. Isaiah 30, verse 18, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Isaiah 33, 2, O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. Text number 10, Isaiah 49, 23, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Lamentations 3, 25 to 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Hosea 12, 6. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for the Lord. Micah 7, 7, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Zephaniah 3, 8, therefore wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth will be consumed. Wait for me. Luke 2, 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Luke uh, 12, 35 to 36. 
Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Acts 1.4. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Wait. Romans 8, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, it's kind of not easy, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Galatians 5, 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Text number 20. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Titus 2, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, waiting Hebrews 9, 28, so Jesus Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Waiting for him. 2 Peter 3, 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And text number 25, Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, when he opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. From Genesis to Revelation, God's people are to have a mark of a trait of being a waiting people. And what's so interesting about that is, is we don't live in a waiting culture. Church, in our I want it now, I must have it now. I deserve it now. Daddy, I want an Oompa Loompa now. World. In our you cannot and you must not disrespect me or dispute me or refute me or offend me or take advantage of me world. The biblical call to be a people that is awaiting people is utterly countercultural. It's inside out, it's upside down. And it's a real challenge to live. In fact, Aristotle even said, patience is bitter. It's hard. Uh, But, he says, its fruit is sweet. Hey, kids, live waiting. Live waiting. 
Well, I've been 20 minutes without us really getting into the text today, and I'm wanting for that to be the foundation upon which the text now just flows. Upon that foundation, let's now ask the question, well, how be that? How are we to be awaiting people? And James is an action guy. And we're an action people, so it fits really well. So here's what I'm going to do. Today, I'm just going straight to the application out of this text. And so I think James 5, 7 through 11 gives us four how-to actions to be awaiting people. Four how-to actions to be awaiting people. Number one, we are to wait in our shadowing. We're to wait in our shadowing. It's so James to use pictures to describe. I'm such a visual person myself. I'm a visual, verbal, thinking person, and, and I, this is one of the reasons I love James. And so he puts these three pictures for us to, to mimic, for us to follow, for us to be shadows of them, okay, as I use that word. So the first one uh, is in the middle of verse 7. It's shadow the farmer. It's be like the farmer. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. We get farming. I mean, I, I love the fact that in our community, we, we are still close to farming. We have farmers who, who attend this church. We have those who work with the farming community in various businesses who attend this church. I love that. Farmers are like the bedrock of this country with it. And we have something to learn from them here. And that's what James is saying. Shadow the farmer. In this whole idea of being patient, this whole idea of being awaiting people, shadow the farmer. So I'd say it this way, two things. The farmer is not waiting for for nothing, the farmer is waiting for something. That's a big deal. Because God is not just saying, wait. Well, like, for what? No, just the principle of waiting. Well, now I'm annoyed. That's not what God is doing. We are called to wait, but we are waiting for something. Just as the farmer, the farmer, uh, after the fields are ready, the seeds are planted, if you will, now they are in that, quote, waiting phase, which is actually active waiting. It's not now sit on the couch for three months or however long of time that is. It's, it's active waiting and because they are waiting in this for something. And because of what they are waiting for, it actually matters in everything now. And verses 7, 8, and 9 all make reference. This text is filled with this eschatological, this future reality thing. And so this future coming of the Lord is highlighted on it and, and is the culmination of this time of redemptive history. And listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've come to understand that you are a sinner separated from God because of sin, like we all are, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you have driven the stake in the ground and received Christ as your Savior, listen to me here. This is really important because listen to James. The fact is, is our Lord is coming back and that changes everything now. You see, like the farmer, fruit's coming. Fruit's coming. And they are cranked up about the fruit. Like, exactly when's it going to come? I don't know. But around that time. 
And we're to be anticipating people. We're waiting for something. We're not waiting for nothing. We're waiting for Revelation 19. When the Lord on the white host comes and boom, bring it. Yeah, but it hasn't happened yet, Doug. Uh, like, I know that. And you know that. But the Lord is saying, wait. The reason I went through those 25 verses is to get the Listen, it isn't a new thing for God's people. This has been from the very beginning. Just wait. Hey, have you noticed that the Lord's on a different timetable than we are? Like, just read the Old Testament. Like, I would have brought Revelation, like, right after Genesis. Just Genesis, Revelation, done. But God's just, like, God's doing what God does. And we're called to wait in that. Wait. But we're waiting for something. I've already alluded to it. The farmer is not static. The farmer is active in his or her waiting. Not static in it. I mean, even when it's planted, what are they doing? They're, they're weeding and they're hoeing and they're pruning and they're measuring and they're fertilizing and they're watching. And farmers, you're laughing at me right now because you know there's way even more on top of that that I don't even know what you do. But you are actively waiting. Biblical waiting is an active waiting. It is not just couch it. It is active. Shadow the farmer. Secondly, shadow the prophets. See in verse 10 as an example of suffering and patience. By the way, the whole context from verses 1 through 6 is kind of in this, this conversation in personal and, and church duress of what's going on. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets. And this is really important. Who spoke in the name of the Lord. By the way, if you read towards the end of Hebrews 11, it tells about the prophets and their suffering. Let me just read some of the things that Hebrews 11 tells that they went through. It says, many were tortured and mocked and flogged and chained and imprisoned and stoned and sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about. The text goes on to also say, though, that they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They were made strong out of weakness. You see, in their suffering... They were active, like the farmer, but I want to notice in the text, I think the point of James is bringing to the table with the prophets is that they spoke. They spoke in the name of the Lord. Even in their duress, even in the waiting of their duress, waiting in the vindication of the Lord, they spoke. Hey, friends, it's okay to speak into things today. In fact, in many ways, I don't, I'm wondering if God's people aren't speaking into enough in our day. But know this, we're not to look like the world. We're not carrying out vengeance. We're not demanding it right now. We're to be speaking in the name of the Lord. There is to be a prophet-like conversation. As, hey, does your Facebook look prophet-like in your words? In the duress of it all, in the suffering of it all, speaking as one's is speaking in the name of the Lord as opposed to the name of self? Speaking as ones who the Lord would view this as. The Lord would want us to hear. The Lord would want us to think about this. Are we speaking those words? Or are we speaking so similar to the world that frankly the world cannot tell any difference between our voice and their voice? And if that's the case, shame on us. 
Because what a dark world needs is to hear the voice of the light of the Lord. And we know we're not God, right? He is. But we are to be speaking as though the Lord is speaking. Shout out the farmer, shout out the prophets, shout out Job, we have in verse 11. Uh, just quickly, I like the way Platt makes a comment on it in his commentary. He says, it took some 42 chapters for the purpose of suffering in Job's life to be revealed. You know, we, we want to know the purpose now. If you will, it took 42 chapters for Job to come to understand all the, and I think I can theologically say this correctly, out of, out of Job chapter one, the sovereign God allowed hell to be unleashed on him. And after all the, we have chapter after chapter after chapter of struggling and debating, and it gives me hope. Even Job struggled through it. And then you come to chapter 42 and he says, oh, as the Lord says, Job, sit down, gird yourself, gird your loins up like a man. <laughs> says in chapter 40, that's what you don't want to hear from the Lord because you know you're about to get it. And he did. And Job in chapter 42, I love this old, I gotta watch myself, I love that old text. Job 42 is like, oh Lord, you're right. And, 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 and uh, I'm sorry, in 38 he said, and then in chapter 40, you know, you're right. And, the, and then the, the Lord says, no, sit down again. Gird your loins up like a man because I'm not done. And then he goes on, all of it is about Job. You forgot who I was. And Job in chapter 42, after the end of God's conversation with him, Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And therefore I repent in dust and ashes. We're to shadow that. And the frustration and the hurt and the wonder and the lostness of it all. Uh, the Lord's got it. Hey friends, with what's coming up this week, I want you to hear that the Lord's got it. In fact, he already knows. And he is the sovereign Lord who puts kings into place. Calm down. In the name of the Lord. We wait in our shadowing like the farmer, like the prophets, like Job. Second action here. These are just going to be quick and short. We wait in our seeing. We wait in our seeing. We've already kind of made reference to that, like the farmer, like, like ones who are seeing. Listen, friends, we, we, we are to collectively live seeing who our God is and what our God is doing, his person and his plans. And you see the end of verse 11, a reminder about who our God is that James puts in here. He is compassionate and merciful. It doesn't say God is an irritating father. God loves just to mess with you and me. No, no, no. God is compassionate and merciful, but God is a kind of a father who James chapter one, verses two through four, who allows sovereignly, allows trials into our life to produce steadfastness. That's what good parent does. They allow trial. God is not, as I said last week, God is not a helicopter God. 
pulling us out of every little uncomfortable moment of time. God's like, you know what? You need to sit in that one because I've got some things for you to learn or I've even got some things for you to do out of that with it all to produce, verses two through four, chapter one, to produce steadfastness in you and steadfastness compounded in you affects maturity in you. And God says, I love that. What parent doesn't love their children maturing? And that's what God is saying here. And he's saying, you need to see that. And also in the text, there's this clear idea. And you need to see that, that I am coming. Listen, I, I am like one foot out the door. Anytime, anytime, I'm coming. I'm telling you, I'm coming. But would you hurry up? I'm coming. Church, we do not get through by fixing our eyes on the hope of a better economy. We do not get through by fixing our eyes on the hope of all the social injustices going on being fully resolved. We do not get by by having the right governor in place or the right president in place or the right bank account amount in place. We do not get by by seeking world peace. We do not get by by having all of the personal and family weirdness resolved. Every family is dysfunctional. Instead, we get by by the work of the Lord and the hope of the coming of the Lord. All this is going to turn around. And the Lord is going to take it and he is going to make it and we need to see that. He is the righteous verdict who will, deal, uh, who will deal out judgment as the judge to the unredeemed. And I'll say it this way. And he is the gracious assessor judge of the redeemed children of his own. We're going to be held accountable. But out of a gracious, if you know Christ, out of gracious assessment, reward. He's coming, friends. We need to see that. Action step number three out of James. We wait in our strengthening. Verse eight, establishing your hearts. It's the idea of strengthening your hearts. I mean, we know what it is to exercise. Ah, crud. Blasted exercise. I just want to be fit. <laughs> But we're to be strengthening, we're to be established in it. In sports, whether it's in basketball or football, kind of more in the backfield, if you will, in basketball, this is, this is what he's talking about. Like, position like this. Like, God's people are to be like this. God's people aren't to be like... Because when you're like that, someone just comes up or something comes up and just ding, and you're down. Strengthening means becoming more and more in position where it's like, hey, I'm in, a, I'm in a kind of a battle here. This isn't party time. I'm in a battle here, and I'm ready, and I'm ready, and I'm ready, and I'm strengthening. And by the way, the emphasis of the whole idea of strengthening here in the text is, is a plural use of the verbal language. It's not a singular use. Listen, if you're one lovingly to you, if you're one who thinks, you know, this whole thing, this is about me and the Lord, me and the Lord, me and the Lord, you know, and other people, I just, I just don't need you, plus you all frustrate me. I just want for you to know this. That is not how the Lord sees it, and that is not how the Lord has called you to be. Yes, there's a personal relationship with the Lord, but there is a, a, a corporate reality going on. This whole letter is addressed to corporate people. 
And in the strengthening, we even as a church, God's churches are to be in the kind of place where they're strengthening together, built up together. Fourth, we wait in our speaking. I've already alluded to that in kind of with a prophet and, and speaking in the name of the Lord, but notice in verse nine, he adds this unique thing. Uh, Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you yourselves, there's actually emphatic in there, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Again, you yourselves is a plural thing. Hey, have you noticed how when things get hard and ugly and you're frustrated, have you ever grumbled? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's in hard times. Can I say it this way? 2020 is like the perfect year for grumbling. It so is. And here we have this text that's telling us, hey, as a people who are waiting for the Lord, don't grumble. And by the way, can I bring back the, the, the inclusion in the text of the, the, the mercy and the compassion of the Lord? Um, mercy and compassion with each other. Uh, Karen and I and uh, Pastor Nick and, and Jill this week were at a uh, pastor's conference retreat in Phoenix, suffering for the Lord, sorry. Um, and uh, there were about 60 churches there, so, so it was kind of a small gathering of people. And, and with that, um, I want to say thank you to this church. Um, the number of pastors and wives talking about just the pushback that they were receiving, saying too much, not saying enough, too much parameters in place, not enough parameters in place, unable to meet their expectations, people grumbling, pastors grumbling, this is a perfect time for God's people to get ugly with each other. But I want to thank you for being a people who have been gracious. Oh, together, man. And more of that. Let's continue that in this whole. This is tough. This is hard. We're in a time of duress, if you will. And we're to be a people shadowing the farmer and shadowing the prophets and shadowing Job. And we're to be a people who, who wait in our seeing and wait in our strengthening and wait in our speaking. And if I could go back kind of to the neighborhood scene here, I might say it this way. At the end of verse 6, James says that, sends the, the neighborhood bullies home that are not part of his family and grabs his son, grabs his daughter. I might say just grabs his kids who've been hanging on to his leg hearing this. And just has this sweet moment of conversation after them hearing all what he said to the bullies. Honey, buddy, I want you to be a waiting boy. I want you to be a waiting girl. Hey, we live in a very broken neighborhood. I love you. 
And sometimes that means I'm going to kind of come in and I'm going to pull you out of situations because it's too much for you. But other times I'm going to leave you in some situations to deal with. Because I know it's going to grow you and you need that. And buddy, I love you. Strengthen yourself. I'm here to help you. Speak as one with hope because eventually we're moving out of this neighborhood. But until that time, I love you. And so Lord, we leave it there in a very sweet moment of hope and encouragement, in a time where uh, we're all tired right now, I think. We're tired of all the noise going on. We're tired of all the, the, the wrestling and the confusion and even the anger and the vengeance and the, oh, just a, we live in a broken neighborhood. And Lord, we just needed this moment with you Time of this world is only for a little while. Lord, until that time ends, we need your help. Lord, would you help us to stay focused on you, to see you, eyes on you. God, I pray that we would not be lazy in this time, but we would be strengthening, active waiting in this time, our increasing our trust and understanding of who you are, acting that out in the trials that you allow before us like Job. And God, in our speaking, oh Lord, the the world's just throwing all kinds of verbal bombs right now and I just ask for your help as a people that we would, as we were told earlier in James to learn to more listening, less speaking. And in our speaking, may it be speaking the kind of speaking that's like in the name of the Lord, that's pleasing to you and from you. You said, ask for wisdom and I will give it. And so God, on behalf of all of us, I'm asking for wisdom. Help us in these days ahead. Eyes on you, strengthened in you, speaking of you. For your glory in Christ's name we pray, amen.